Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recording started. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to this week's May Checks at Discussion Group Call for Tactical Sovereignty. Like I say, this wonderful Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh, and therefore also not the Sabbath. Just one of the many things we know we've all been tricked by, I guess. Well, this evening, I've got a buddy on with me. I've got Chris Rice from Rice TV. Uh, if you are listening to this over talk show, the links for him are in the description box. If you hear this over YouTube, hopefully I'll have the same in the description box there. But uh, Chris is uh, a good researcher. He's someone I've really I've come to enjoy listening to, uh, especially with the amount of different people that he interviews. Because that's something, you know, that I, I try to do here, you know, interview as many people as possible, get people, you know, viewpoints from a lot of different directions. Um, he's had uh, Jeff Berwick on. He has Ethan Lucas on uh, now and then talking about, you know, the law and spirituality. Uh, of course, he's had David Williams on, who's been here with us quite a few times. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, different names people would probably know, like Alphonse or Jeff Belair. But, oh, and I uh, can't forget our dear friend, uh, Russell J. Gould. has been on with him as well. <laughs> but anyway, how are you doing tonight, Chris? Dude, I'm, I'm doing great. And I really appreciate you inviting me to come on your show. Um, I appreciate you coming, you know, making a couple of appearances on Rice TVX as well. So. Definitely looking forward to the conversation and looking forward to being more in the passenger seat than the driver's seat tonight. Yeah, I guess the roles are kind of reversed a little bit here, aren't they? Yeah, but I enjoy it. You know, I'm I'm used to controlling the conversation by me being the one doing the interview. So um, I like answering questions. Plus, it gives people an opportunity to get to know more about me in ways that I can't express on my own channel without sounding like completely egotistical and you know this is me and this is who i am this is you know so i don't constantly remind people about that so doing these kind of appearances help with being able to uh let my my viewers people who follow my content kind of get a glimpse inside of my head and kind of comprehend why i do what i do the method behind my madness well speaking of you know doing what you do and why you do what you do i think a lot of people would probably be interested to find that you've kind of entered into this in the same position that many of us have found ourselves here. So um, why don't you explain, you know, why you do what you do and interview the people that you've uh, interviewed on your show? Sure. Uh, well, originally when I started my channel, which was January of 2018, uh, the channel was focused on cryptocurrency, economics, and the ideologies of anarchy, anarchy and voluntarism. And I got really bored with after about a year and a half of what I was doing, two years, um, just got really monotonous and started expanding out the channel. Uh, now, before I expanded out, I mean, it was about financial freedom, 
educating people, um, teaching people about these ideologies, about what anarchy means and, and such. And so there was, you know, always a purpose of sovereignty involved, but uh, it wasn't until I started expanding my channel out and exploring different routes separating my content by having three different shows going from rice crypto as a brand name to rice tvx um i've been very fortunate with the people i've been blessed to have you know on my show to interview um been able to interview john mcafee more times than anybody else um unfortunately has passed away now i did seven interviews with him um a lot of times I'm trying to bring people on to either memorialize and try to capture a moment in time about what these individuals do um, to inspire others. Uh, I do try to bring on content creators uh, and people who have shows that YouTube has taken off the platform to give them a voice. So a lot of my content tends to be edgy. Um, and then when I started re, you know, expanding out my channel and restructuring and adding in the, the Stranger Than Fiction show, which was giving me an opportunity to look into law and the legal fiction and study history and talk about history and talk about spirituality, even law and spirituality, like with Ethan Lucas. So I try to bring a variety of guests on that can pr provide different viewpoints uh, I always try to challenge what I think I know so I can concrete know what I know. And, um, you know, also at the same time, there's a lot of selfishness that goes, comes involved because I get to have these conversations with, with these individuals. And some of those times it ends up you know, developing into something more than just an interview. And I actually have relationships with some of these individuals. And that also is very surreal. I mean, um, I've interviewed a lot of people who are very well known in the cryptocurrency space, like Roger Beer, uh, the creator of Litecoin, Charlie Lee, um, one of the co-founders of Ethereum, the creator of Cardano, Charles Hoskinson, uh, people like Jeff Berwick, Jeff uh, G. Edward Griffin, who wrote the, the Creature from Jekyll Island, and then be able to have people like Lynette Zhang from ITM Trading and George Gammon from Rebel Capitalist. And then be able to explore the law element, inviting people on, ranging from Anna von Reitz to Carl Lentz to David Williams, Alphonse Fagiolo, uh, a plethora of different individuals. Um, and just really try to learn as much as I possibly can, share that experience with viewers so they can share information and ultimately just try to figure out ways of being truly sovereign. Um, so the financial freedom aspect exp expanded out because it's only a piece of the puzzle for true sovereignty. Financial freedom is definitely something that comes into play with that, in my opinion. So um, I hope that answered that question. Yeah, no, and you know, you're absolutely correct. It really comes down to uh, the coin of the realm, you know, and it seems like... <clears throat> Even if you go way back in history, like to the so-called medieval times, you know, up through even today, and you look at different people that might be in, say, like the truth movement or something like that, it seems like the people that always get in trouble are the people who mess with the coin of the realm. 
you know, um, messing 100%. with like, you know, creating liens or, you know, what they call fictitious instruments or things like that, you know. So. Or even like you mentioned, uh, watching my interview with Bernard, Bernard von Nothaus, who was the creator of the Liberty Dollar, um, you know, and how you, that was kind of a competition, a threat against the, the coin of the realm, which is, you know, the U.S. dollar being the world reserve currency. Something I wanted to ask you real quick, and I was just checking on the on your talk shoe channel. Are we live or are we just recording? We're live. OK, because it's not showing that we're live on um like it's not showing me the video it's just saying stream is offline hmm. i'm weird. not sure yeah i'm not sure why it says that but yeah, everything's it, good here okay i just want to make sure yeah is because i was hoping there was a way i could look at like chat in case people were watching and you know you, you said something about potentially opening it up for questions towards the end and um i try to pay attention to the live chat right um well, let me see. There's nothing in chat right now that I see okay. on there. But, yeah, you mentioned uh, having G. Ever Griffin on. He's been on here with us as well. And, you know, there's, you know, to me, kind of a deeper story, I think, there behind the, the whole story with Jekyll Island that goes more into what I'm really researching now, uh, really, which is, you know, um, the peopling of the Americas and, uh, the DNA specifically, really where people came from, uh, how they, you know, migrated here or emigrated here. <clears throat> and there's a uh, pastor up in northeastern Florida towards, I believe, Jacksonville area. Um, his first name is Tim. But he had kind of an urge or a calling to go visit Jekyll Island. And he really wasn't sure why, you know, but, you know, he, he called the hotel there and he scheduled um, a stay for one night. And when he got there, uh, the receptionist looked at him and called him by name. And he was kind of surprised by that. And she said, OK, here's your information. Just sign in here. He, he looked at the papers. He said, oh, wait a minute. He said, I scheduled one night. He says, this has me listed for two nights. <clears throat> And uh, she said, yeah, she said, I took the, the uh, call from you. And she said, but something told me that you're going to need two nights instead of just one. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> but anyway, during his stay there, he got to meet um, a gentleman who really took care of the facilities. And the guy asked him, you know, do you want me to show you around some things that most people don't see? And he was like, sure. And he took him and showed him a picture. It was a picture of like a stone altar with Indians around it that looked like, I can't say exactly what they were doing. It was a ritual that had to do with a very young offspring. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. And um, he thought, you know, this pastor thought, gosh, this is really weird. I never heard of American Indians doing things like this. This would have been the Tim Timiuka tribe. And um, the guy said, sure. He said, you know, would you like to see this stone altar? He was like, uh, yeah, sure. Can I? He's like, yeah. He said, where's it at? He says, well, it's, you know, in the Rockefeller house underneath basically the living room, which was the parlor where they sat and developed the idea for the Federal Reserve at. 
And I mean, to me, that was kind of mind blowing. I mean, yeah, it's a, I have not had the entire, read the entirety of the book because it's a very thick book, The Creature from Jekyll Island from G. Edward Griffin. But there's also Murray Rothbard. He's got a book on the Federal Reserve. And uh, I just recently had my second interview with Hotep Jesus, who wrote a book called The Patriot Report that kind of gives um, some additional information and a different perspective than the Jekyll Island book about the creation of the, the Federal Reserve because it was, and that, well, that was one of the things we discussed on that show, that the Federal Reserve was the third or fourth attempt. I believe it was really the fourth attempt at central banking in the United States. Um, but a lot of history shows it to be the third. But what's interesting is like when you start researching about, because I'm probably going to do a video sometime this week about the history of money and banking. And a lot of it from minus the distorted history goes back to Venice, which goes back to the Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians and their money magic debt system, Babylonian money magic debt that people talk about in the legal legal fiction realm um, reapplies back to that. So I find that very fascinating and um, the whole history of banking and how this took place because it, it, a lot of people think about the... Um, the what is the family name the Rothschilds as being like one of the main perpetrators but the Rothschilds kind of came in later in the game it was more of the time period around a little before Napoleon uh, a little before you know because and also another thing that I didn't put in perspective was that during the Re revolutionary war time period was also the same time period as when Napoleon the Napoleonic wars were going on so it's and that's when the banks were getting involved with basically um, giving money to both sides, all sides. Uh, you know, and when you mention coin of the realm, it kind of ties back to me to, to Game of Thrones. And in Game of Thrones, they had the Iron Bank, which was kind of in that central bank position of like the IMF today. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's really interesting. I think the Rothschilds aren't they. Um holders of the trust for the Vatican. I believe they've got some involvement with that. There's speculation and talk, but I mean, for me, especially, I mean, when it comes to a lot of this, I've been trying to find as much evidence and proof to back up these things so that it doesn't seem more um, conspiracy and it seems more realistic. So uh, that's kind of where I've taken a little bit of a back step with um, some of the legal fiction stuff, but I'm going to be, bringing on um, returning guests and new guests and still continuing down that rabbit hole. I just went through a, a period of time where I got really burned out on talking to a lot of individuals because so much differing opinions on, on a lot of things. And then you bring in someone like David Williams or Alphonse Fagiolo who kind of throw a wrench in a lot of other people's philosophies and things that they're doing. So it's kind of like what is real and what isn't real and trying to sift through that information. I was at one point going to be trying to bring together a lot of these teachers and groups, but that was uh, an asinine idea on my part. I'm thinking that I could get people to work together for one and put egos aside. That was the biggest um, challenge that I thought could be. But um, just, I mean, everybody, it seems like everybody wants to be correct. 
They right. want to be the the one. Um, and I'm not going to even mention other anybody's name in particular, but there's people copying other people's models and then putting down the people that they're copying the models of. Right. But basically, but, like like a franchisee of the person that, they, that they're saying that they don't like. Yeah. Well, one of the people that you mentioned that you've interviewed, I, I've talked to, I'll just say them, um, quite a while ago, I had a few conversations with them and tried to pinpoint, you know, where were they getting their information at? Because they never showed any source material. You know what I mean? So I was contacting them going, you know, where did you find this? Or why did, where did you find that? You know, because I'd like to research into that a little further. And they just said to me, you know, I'm sorry, I really don't know. I just copy and paste. And I thought, You don't oh. want to mention who it was, though? <clears throat> it was probably the only female that you mentioned. Okay. Okay. And um, so I was like, you're kidding me. And I was like, okay, that tells me pretty much all I need to know then. But, and, and that's one of the things too. Now, you know, some of the people you've interviewed that, you know, I, I pretty much see uh, pretty eye to eye with. And I think it's because what we have all done is very similar, which really, you know, as far as the legal fiction goes, it just really comes down to how, you position yourself or you position your relationship uh, regarding the legal fiction or that, that artificial entity. And, and that would be David Williams and Robert Michael. And uh, whenever I get on the phone with either of them, it normally always ends up being a two or three hour long conversation, you know, because we kind of resonate with each other's thinking very yeah. well. Well, I mean, and I love David <clears throat> Williams, but David will, he will talk your ear off. It's as if he is like, and I know he's not in this position, but it's as if he doesn't have any human communication at all. So he has to take in when, when he has it, he has to take it in because he never knows when he's going to get more. But he seems to be this way with everybody. And so I just I think uh, he just enjoys talking and I think he enjoys hearing himself talking. Sometimes I do, too. So I'm not going to fault Mr. Williams for it. But, uh, yeah, I always had to um, at least prepare myself for a minimum of two hours. And, Sometimes we're having a uh, 45-minute-hour conversation before we even start. and <laughs> so. Um, but we have good conversations, and I don't mind having long conversations with people like that, um, especially when they're very thought-provoking and it's not a boring subject and people's brainwaves are just going to be fading off, not being able to pay attention. So... Um, you know, I, I do appreciate and I do want to get them involved in some some debates. So I'm just trying to figure out the right opportunities, the right people so I can so I can have it be as cordial as possible. You Thank might you. want to weave into that idea of having a timer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have to I haven't ran an official debate and it's been a while since I've been involved in one. But I re remember opening statements and giving people equal time and keeping a timer and you know the good thing about it is if i was if i'm running a video and i'm recording it through something like Streamyard, i can mute the other individuals until it's time for them to talk yeah and if somebody's running over their time i could be rude and just be like you know your time was up and now you're going over your time so i'm just going to mute you and prevent you from communicating yeah yeah <laughs> pull out robert's rules of orders for uh d debating <laughs> so yeah robert would be somebody that i would like to get in uh, like in a debate with 
um, someone like Alphonse, but Alphonse isn't ready to do anything like that until he gets some of his legal workings behind him. Um, and I'm not sure how long that's going to take, but I'm still kind of trying to put a little bit of pressure on him since he's kind of on this whole idea of saying that there, there's no, no such thing as status correction. It doesn't exist and there's no need to do it and there's no benefit and there's no nothing. It just, it's make believe, you know, and it's one, that's one of those things that I really want to try to get spelled out. I've looked into a few things. Um, I'm getting ready. I haven't done it yet because I've had traveling and been sick, but I, I'm going to apply for my passport using that method on the Copper Moonshot Still site or whatever the site's called. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I really, really recommend Copper Moonshine, but you know, as far as saying that there's well, that, no such that thing method, as that method is one thing that I will say that a lot of different teachers uh, and groups agree on. Um, All right. David Strait, um, I think uh, Ken, Ken Cousins. Uh, uh, so, I mean, uh, <laughs> Kelby Smith. There's a plethora of individuals that have, and there's some people that I know individually that have followed these routes and claim uh, that they've had change in treatment. But, you know, I'm going to go through the process and then try to have law enforcement have a reason to run my stuff and or try to find a cool law enforcement officer to run my stuff and try to tell me if this shows anything different than what it would show anybody else's. That, that's really what be. that's really what I need to find because, I mean, the last year I've had a couple incidents where there are guaranteed go to jail incidents for anybody, and right. I didn't even get a ticket and was free to go. So I was like, God, I knew there had to be something going on. And I, I had already decided that several years ago from things that had happened. But, you know, to anybody that says there's no such thing as status correction, I would just simply have to ask them, then, how do they view the naturalization proce process? What, what's the naturalization process all about? Because that's exactly what that is. It's, it's a status correction from one country to another. Right, but, but saying, like... Okay, there's nothing written in history, in the history books that I can find that prior to the 14th Amendment, the creation of the U.S. citizenship status, that there was a status that existed. So what are you correcting? What are you correcting to? So some people are trying to say that there is a state citizen or a state national or an American national. I've seen American national being used, but it's it, apparently all U.S. citizens are American nationals as well. The, it's kind of it's kind of it, but it but it doesn't give you any special privileges to not be a u.s citizen and to be an american national uh, i think that the, the way that that would happen is um people that are um that live in u.s territories that aren't states i think they would be considered american nationals yeah it's the samoan islands I believe is uh, one of the main ones. I, I believe. Now, I could be wrong with this. And another thing that I want to explore is trying to talk to some open-minded attorneys. Because I've had conversations with some attorneys, like at bars and stuff like that, and try to have you know talk about the British accreditation registry or the different na uh, names of what bar can stand for. And I'm not finding any sort of consensus among these type of individuals. So... Again, I mean, 
there's nothing really that's 100% spelled out that that's what the Bar Association stands for. Yeah, I, I did an article a couple weeks ago on um, the bar. And whenever you see the bar mentioned, it's always upper lowercase bar. It's it's never all uppercase. Right, and they don't so try I, to say it stands. It's supposed to be short for barrister, I believe. Okay, well, what I found is uh, the term bar actually came from an entrance on Fleet Street that went into the area where the Temple Bar was located at in England, uh, the city of London. And that originally... See, that, that sounds like a church. That sounds like a bar inside of a church. Yeah, right. Temple bar. Yeah. Like, but, yeah um, you get that holy wine. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it originally, um, that gate right there had originally just been a chain that went across uh, that entranceway. And then later on, that chain was changed to a bar, a, lit a literal bar that, that fell across it. And uh, then... Um, and sometimes they would have old court, you know, a couple hundred years ago in the outdoors. And there would be something, a bar similar to what used to look like where you would tie your horse up at, right? And that went in between where you stood or whatever and where the judge was at, you know. And so uh, the bar is just kind of a figurative term. It's, it's not an acronym. It's never been an acronym that was dreamed up by somebody. I've got a friend who has a uh, Westlaw link and um, him and I sat the other day, actually, because I think he saw my article and he went through Westlaw and basically did a uh, spider search. If people are familiar with that and just did an entry for um, British accredited registry or British accredited registration, all sorts of different things. Yeah. And you won't and find it. No, there, there's there's nothing listed. But people, but people and groups and teachers are are perpetrating that information, and you know, I mean, it's you can see that the city of London is a, is a separate sovereign state, separate outside of England and the UK. Same right. thing with Vatican City, uh, same thing with Washington D.C. and the aspect of where it stands. But you, right. but you can't you can't say that. The Bar Association stands for British Accreditation, anything with R, registry, whatever the situation might be, unless you can. And these things need to be factually backed up. Otherwise, it just looks like conspiracy theory. It just looks yeah. like, a, you know, like um, I'm not saying that law, land, air, water doesn't make any sense that people could have put that together. But when you take that word and you translate it to other languages that came before ours, when the word law existed. Does that translate the same way? Because not not in all times will that be the case. So, it, in for my comprehension, especially if you're for looking in in something like Latin, it's not the same alphabet, right? So you know it's it's not going to law may not be three letters that each one stands for land, air, and water. You know, it's more that could be more of this a thing that people have made up from this mutt language that we call English. That's like a combination of the Anglo-Saxon and, and German. Right. I've been researching this stuff for probably what, six or seven years now. And I have only seen in the last like two, two and a half years, maybe that that whole land, air, water thing appeared. And some, it was just something somebody dreamed up and it's well, cute, think, but I it doesn't somebody, mean anything. 
I think Jordan Maxwell might have been one of the first people kind of pushing that. And then Jordan just kind of beat got one to be a broken record with just saying the same thing and not really backing it up, just talking about the maritime law and how the water has overbreached the land and what and why the birthing process is called what it is and why like the flow of money is uh, like a currency and there's liquidation and there's liquidity and there's all these different water related terms and things. But again, if you translate these to other languages, does that work out? Um, so Jordan Maxwell, somebody who I think he's having, he's getting old, trying to get him on the show. Um, and I'm, I may have to pay him for his time, unfortunately, but I would like to have a conversation and try to find out if he can like actually provide any, any evidence to back up the, the talk of the, the maritime law situation being completely in effect. Because if you explain this to an attorney that, They've raised the watermark in, in, invisibly over top of the world that it's now covered in water, like water world. People are like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. And and he's actually one of them that did, I don't know about law, but he did bring up uh, British accredited registry before. And I actually did find a listing for that in England. And I looked through their records and it didn't look like they really had anything to do with the legal system whatsoever. <laughs> no, somebody's um, listening to this and they could fact check and find some information that, that, cause I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'm not right about everything. I'm trying to learn. So if I'm wrong about something, I'll be the first to admit it. If I'm provided with information that shows that what I said was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and a lot of these people, I mean, I, I necessarily don't really call out or anything. I would call out somebody like David Strait, who I would say is nothing but total rubbish. And so much of his stuff just doesn't make sense if people even just used well, a little bit of thinking when they listen. Him, with him, I, I, I've been trying to you know, weigh this over for quite some time because I was going to have him on the show a couple of times. And then he, he canceled for whatever reason. And then a lot of information started coming out about him maybe not saying the truth about him being in the military and things to that effect. And I would like to give him an opportunity to, um, to prove and show that what he says is true versus um, not being sure and seeing like vice news pieces that may be designed as a hit piece to make him look bad. So I want to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, but if you're going to make claims, right, you should be able to back up the claims that you make. If you can't back up the claims that you make, then you're lying about something. And that would be like someone like uh, Greg Hallett. When I, that was one of the things that I started expanding my channel out on. This guy from the UK who was claiming to be the rightful king of England, the title of Christ, the king of the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, him, I him, and Russell, him and Russell would have been good friends. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I think David, though, would have to do way too much uphill backpedaling to reverse a lot of the claims that have been made there. I, I mean, I, I remember when I was listening to him talk about rescuing children and things like that. He mentioned how they went into the hills of Arkansas in the wee hours of the morning and snatched a pedo out of the hills of Arkansas and loaded him on a C-130 and took him down straight to Gitmo. Yeah, and I'm well, thinking, I'm thinking, wait a minute, how are you landing a C-130, which is a huge cargo plane in the hills of Arkansas, because and why would you use David something Street, like that? <laughs> That's why. 
I mean, he, I mean, like him talking about being on Melania Trump's task force. You know, I'm not even sure that Melania Trump even did things like that. You know, it didn't seem like she was involved in politics on that level. She was more of like just doing the 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 normal first lady stuff, which is like making appearances and starting a nonprofit and those kind of things. Not actually uh, being involved in a task force that are rescuing children. I just don't gather that from. Maybe I'm misjudging Melania, but it would make it would have made the the story would have made more sense if it was Trump. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see that as being a genre that she would be playing in necessarily. Right. But so it, he talks know, he talks about his experiences um, uh, being at the White House, having a very minimal communication with Trump, and um, I've heard him. He doesn't keep to the stories that he that he that he makes up. So um, it's unfortunate. He he does know a lot of good information about history, and I, I do. That's what I do try to take is the good pieces of what people are presenting. Because just because there might be um, some bad actions or some untruthful information doesn't make everything that they're saying uh, worthless. Because yeah, I think between David Strait and Audubon Wrights, they have a lot of information uh, that they've done with research in regards to history, especially American history uh, that I find very invaluable, regardless if, if I agree with what they're doing with their teachings. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I like a lot of the history, for instance, that David Williams has brought up because, you know, uh, he'll show you resource material or, He'll give you names or whatever as to where to look. And so when I have gone and looked, I've been able to validate everything that's been said by him. Well, and the one thing I will say about Anna Von Wrights and, uh, is, is, and David Straits is that they, even though they do give good information, they do try to point you in a direction that they want to point you in, as opposed to trying to give it more unbiasedly and backing it up with facts. But I mean, even David Williams is trying to lead you somewhere with that, but he's providing more documentation to back up what he's saying to make it sound to make it look more valuable of information versus just somebody's opinion yeah. you know like because the one thing that david that david Strait was saying is that um that, that abraham lincoln and Karl marx were friends and had regular communication um History doesn't necessarily say that. And I've looked into this area from a couple different angles and such. And the most that I'm seeing is that they had some written communication towards the end of the Civil War. But I don't believe there was much more than that. And right. it, was, it was mainly like them discussing, you know, what had taken place with, with the Civil War and in comparison to the book that Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, but in that light, um, David Strait wants to paint, and I'm not saying this is not true or not true, but paint Abraham Lincoln as being a socialist who worked for the banks. Um, and I, I can't hundred, you know, saying that you know that he was a part of the the British accreditation registry system because, but he was a bar member and he was the first president that I know of that was a member of the bar association was supposed to was supposed to be unconstitutional based off the original 13th amendment apparently but there's no real technical proof 
of that really being the case because a lot of those records were burned in D.C. in, what was it, 1812, something like that. Well, and there, there's still plenty of um, information within the Constitution regarding somebody holding a title of nobility, which is what they were referring to, the 13th Amendment, as you know they were referring to the Titles of Nobility Act or whatever. And so you can find plenty of that in the Constitution. But because if you read the wording of it, it's perfectly okay as long as Congress consents to it. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the problem with something like that is that you have a, a loyalty above your your country um, by having those kind of agreements. So that was the idea is that, you know, you're not beholden to anybody. Um, I definitely think that we need to rethink how we do politics and and the effects of like what a politician gets for being a politician and what takes place to a politician after that said politician is no longer in that capacity. Um, it needs to go back more to a public servant kind of situation that people are pushed into that don't want to do it. Um, and it needs to become more of a service versus right. what it's become. Well, I, I think, I think really that a lot of people want to say that take over America started at 1871, you know, and it, in my opinion, the takeover of America really started with the changeover from the Articles of Confederation to the U.S. Constitution in 1789. And I think that's when the real takeover occurred. You know, people would say they want to go back to the republic or whatever. Well, we still have a republic. If well, you look we, at the definition of what a republic is, we still have a republic. We got in debt to banks. We lent, we borrowed money from French bankers, and we're in debt for that. And they it's said that uh, the banks in the city of London paid off that debt, which meant that the United States owed them, which would be like the Crown Incorporated, which would be, in a sense, we thought we got away from the UK. We thought we got away from being under the king or queen or under parliament. But in fact, we didn't. It just appeared as if we did. Absolutely. Well, read the uh, treaty, the, read the peace treaty, the Treaty of Paris, and the outlining of, you know, the peace after the Revolutionary War was dictated by the King of France, who was also the King of England at the time. He was controlling both. And it says right there that he was, you know, that he's the prince elector, you know, and, and the arch treasurer. Well, if you're the prince elector and arch treasurer of the United States, then uh doesn't sound much to me like the United States won any war. No, it just made it look like it in appearance. I mean, it just, um, and that's, I mean, I, that's why I like going down and exploring history because, I mean, history is not what we've been taught it to be. Um, so the more that we can do research and the more that we can try to figure out what actually happened gives us a better idea of what we're trying to change. Because um, that's what I, one of the biggest arguments that I have with people when they talk about status correction is, what are we correcting? Because, again, prior to the, the U.S. Amendment status, the U.S. citizenship status, I'm not really convinced that there was a status that people were given. You know, you were just an American. You, know, um, you were a Virginian, a Marylandian, uh whatever the situation might be, whatever state you lived in, but whether the word citizen existed, I don't know. Um, I've seen, I've got a manual that talks about American citizen, 
but it, that's not written down anywhere. And you, there should be somewhere in the history books, somewhere in the Library of Congress, somewhere where it talks about what existed as far as a status before the the 14th Amendment. Because the, you got to think about like the time period of like cowboys and Indians. Uh, during that time period, um, you had like gunslingers on the street that would agree to shoot each other. And it wasn't a crime because they both agreed. Presidents dueled with swords. <laughs> and it was okay as long as they agreed to do it. So there was a there was a difference of people and what they could and couldn't do prior to the US citizenship status. And then the, the US citizenship status thing to seemed to put us underneath the jurisdiction of the federal government, which made us under the law. Whereas before there was a different capacity in a way a sovereign individual, a self-sovereign individual would be. And that's kind of what I think about when I think about the Western time period. Uh, and I'm sure that in between the Revolutionary War and the Western time period, it was very, very similar because the stories that I've heard about, the, the I think it was Aaron Burr might have been the president. Right. Um, right. And that was, that was before the Civil War. Correct. And the Civil Wars from, from the... 1776 to it was like 1860s, 1850s. I mean, that was less than 100 years. Yeah, so, uh, Civil War, 1761, right? Well, and if, if you look at really, if you go 18, back, 1861, it was 1861. The formation of the country, 1776 was supposed to be you know, right. Independence Day, right? 1861 is when the Libra Code came out which were the uh, rules for the standing army on foreign territory, which yeah, was, was like written general, for the Civil War. General Order Number 100 or something like that from Lincoln? Correct, yeah. He had um, Charles Libris from France write that. And But it, you go back to the beginning of the nation, and you're talking about, you know, like the Western Times or whatever, and what was there before the 14th Amendment as far as a citizenship? Uh, well, they were subjects. And that's what the status was for people from England or that. I know, but Billy the Kid now. and all those guys, they weren't subjects. I don't know. I've not seen any legal documentation on any of them, so it would be hard saying. Now, you know, though, that seven out of the first eight presidents were all British subjects. And so that kind of throws the whole, you've got to be a U.S. citizen to be president thing out the window. But... Yeah, so yeah, well, that didn't, that, obviously, yeah, that didn't, that wasn't the case back then because yeah. really nobody was a U.S. citizen because it really it didn't even exist. Right. Uh, no, it's, it's funny how we just put this game together of all these different rules that get changed by the older brother as we're playing the game constantly. Well, the, the status was subject, is what they were referred to. Even um, um, Benjamin Franklin was a British subject, he never became a U.S. citizen. He worked with within the British system, but I mean, people like um, George Washington. I mean, I, I I feel as if when they were rebelling against the the king uh, in Parliament, that they were no longer they were absolved of that subject. Like they weren't subject anymore because they stood their ground against it, and technically yeah. per. They won. It's just we we owed money to bankers that right. lent us the money to win. 
Well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of money was um, actually lent by France. And France, like any good debtor, any good creditor, rather, that creditor went and sold it to a third-party debt collector, which happened to be the city of London. <laughs> so, And we've had a third-party debt collector on our butt ever since. Right, and, and the city of London <laughs> is going to work for the best interest of, of the crown itself. So there is a distinguished distinction between the crown incorporated and the crown. Right. But they're, but they're going to work hand-in-hand hand together. And, yeah. and look out for each other's best interests because what affects – I mean, if somebody comes in and tries to take over the UK, they're going to obviously get the city of London, which you know, even though it's a sovereign state, if a warring nation came in and just abolished people and took over, it wouldn't be sovereign anymore. So, Well, and that was all actually um, relinquished to Pope Innocent III by the king. King John relinquished all that over to the Pope, uh, basically because he was afraid that he lost his line in, you know, uh, the pearly gates. So, and that's a confusing ordeal—the whole trade-off between popes and kings, and back and forth, and whether what one pope did is still in effect versus what you know. Because, like with the with the, um, at least with the monarchy, things like the Seste KV, you can see where other monarch other kings and queens have accepted it as law and not changed it right but we're in the other aspect i don't feel like it's the same way yeah and you're, you're talking about the money situation I, I find the money thing really interesting um and the people that that goes back to if anybody's read like the agony and the ecstasy by michelangelo or rather uh, the biography from michelangelo he was you know, sequestered to do his work by the Medici family. And he worked under the Medicis, and they, they were kind of the beginners of the big banking cartel and um, Jesuits, Knights Templar, etc. was all involved with that. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah, I find that book to be really, really interesting on a lot of different levels. I've never checked a book out. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're talking about the direction that, you know, people flowed in, uh, especially like regarding like the Phoenicians and stuff like that. And, and that's what I, this, I, I got pretty well settled with how I've positioned myself as far as like the legal matters go. Sorry. And I really wanted to figure out more like personal things regarding me, but it, it wasn't, it's not just about me. It's about everybody. But, for instance, you know, being blonde hair and blue eyes, it's like, where did that come from? And you find really a good consensus that that was created around the Black Sea area and was kind of a genetic anomaly. And those people moved into, like, uh, the land of Canaan, and they were the Phoenicians. Uh, Phoenician actually means red. And those people, when they all dispersed and a lot of the tribes dispersed, headed up towards the Russian direction and lived in the Russian area. And even the word Russia means red. And so you're finding just so many little similarities like that. And you know, that being the real origin of the blonde hair, blue eyes. And to me, it's like, those people of Babylon just kind of migrated their way back into the USA, into North America. And 
who did we have to vote for here five, six years ago? And, you know, either a redheaded guy or a blonde headed woman, you know? Interesting analogy there. Yeah. So I, I, I think the more I look at like history and um, the immigration of people, the more and more that I'm finding so much deceit has been fed to us, you know, and this goes, you know, even right into uh, North America here and what people generally think of regarding slavery. You see the settlers that came here were all indentured servants. Well, that, apparently there was like a fair skinned, almost white, uh, red haired race of, or species of humans that were in Af like Africa at one point and seemed to have left or been killed off. So there's a lot that we haven't really been told the truth about. Even Native Americans, um, if you really do some digging and you look, especially if you're looking at things from like a Moorish science perspective, you're going to get the whole idea that uh, a lot of the black people were copper skin Native Americans that, and a lot of those Native Americans were replaced in history with what we call Native Americans today. Right. Whether that's, you know, I've seen some pictures of old, older Native Americans that look like what we would consider to be like African-American. And then that theory goes into the whole idea that slavery, the slaves didn't come from Africa, that these people were already here. And that's the one of the arguments that the Moors talk about is that they are the aboriginal people. Not when you look at it from the etymology of the word, but what we define aboriginal or indigenous, that they were here before we were here. So they're not. That's that's the argument with that. So it's very fascinating when you look into that. I mean, that's why sometimes it gets frustrating for me because I'm not even 100% sure that the continents that we know them as are really truly where everything was. Um, I'm not sure about the calendar. So it's like we don't know our history. We don't know when it began. We don't know where we are. We don't know what continent we're technically on. I mean, I've heard all kinds of theories about the United States being where Sumeria and Babylon was and that over in, in the Arizona area was uh, Israel. That's not yeah. what the rest of the world recognizes. You know, there's also supposed to be a country or empire named Tartaria that existed that some maps show and some don't. So it's like yeah. what's real and what's not real. Yeah, And if you look at the continents, you can see how they actually could have been more connected at one time. And there, the there's something the yeah, idea. And I mean, that's definitely scientifically provable that like in a sense, the land mass started out as one piece and then broke, broke apart throughout yeah. time through shifting of the planet, growth of the planet or whatever the situation might be that we're not fully aware of. Well, and there, there's uh, somebody written in the Bible in the Old Testament by the name of Peleg, P-E-L-E-G. Uh, and his name supposedly was to mean because in his day, the earth divided. And uh, there was something I posted a while ago that was written by Benjamin Franklin. And he was writing about his experience in coming here. And he said the people that he saw here were more brown or tawny, he called them, T-A-W-N-E-Y, uh, which means dark skinned. And he's like the rarely copper skinned a lot too, um, right? Which is similar. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, I know that they were the American government 
U.S. government, they were selling ways that people who weren't Native American claimed to be Native American back late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. This was something I was going to try to dig in. I mean, there's so many different things that I want to dig into. It's time and being able to dig into all these different things. I like and, a lot of and whether or not the, the time that, you, that goes into it is worth putting into it. Yeah. Well, I like, I like a lot of the research that uh, Dane Calloway has done. You can check out Dane Calloway on YouTube, and he shows a lot of his resources also okay. on these matters. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm not a believer in the out of Africa theory. I think that was a way to make people feel like they weren't part of something that actually they really were a part of and that really did belong to them originally. It's something that you could see somebody that wants to rule the world, something they would do. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, I could. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, we're just going to have kind of like an hour-long call here. I was going to open up if anybody on here uh, let me go take a peek. Had anything they wanted to bring up? Uh, I really wish I could lines. see this thing. It's there's a way that you can. I'm, I'm not so sure weird. how I it I, is. I wish I could like show you what like it's because it's it's like I'm on the link. I even did it on my phone to see if it would pull up, and it you know says live stream is offline. Please wait for the moderator to start the stream. And then at the top above all that above the join online studio or dial this number it has uh, it says live um let's see here oh, okay i see a chat so now i'm at least seeing communication yeah i didn't really we make out we have an l l hotep i can't really quite i apologize make out the rest of the name Hotep Akemwe. Yeah, Piro, that is my co-host. Let me open up. I'm going to unmute you. That's His name is actually Keith. Uh, Keith, if you had something, uh, feel free to jump in. I've opened your mic up. Greetings, Chris. How you doing, brother? Doing good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, it's El Hotep Sekemwe Piro. What is the second we? Second we stands for between the two. Hotel okay. means peace. Mm -hmm. And then peril means um, temple. And L, of course. Now, that's not, that's not a Moorish thing, is it? Actually, it's, it's uh, Kemet prior to the uh, development of Egypt, north and south. K-E-M-E-T, correct. Right, and that's where and that it, that's where that little frog meme thing comes from. Yep, <laughs> and uh, it it actually it stands for peace between the two, and that's between the temple and the bot and the the god, and it actually came about because of the peace between North and South Egypt. Okay, and what is this website? Uh, oh, and I I hope you don't mind, Brian. Uh, somebody asked about my website, and so I or my YouTube. So I post my YouTube and let them know I had a website too. Yeah, that's cool. Just just information that I posted. You know, it's a dot art dot art extension, so it's non commercial. And you notice it's based on my I got a uh, Express Trust through the PMA, a faith based union. Um, it's got adoptions and notices. Okay. 
And that's basically all they operate in in their own legal world is adoptions and notices. You notice the municipal code is an adoption. The county codes are adopted. State codes are adopted. Everything's adopted. And they actually all are adopted from the original ancient scripture. Interesting. So you're the co-host of this show with Mr. Brian? Well, I've been trying to be. I've had some ups and downs here lately. I haven't been, been too competent here in the last couple months, but I'm glad to finally make it on again tonight. That's awesome. Good to have you. Good to have you. Uh, Keith, I'm going to let me see. I think I've got everybody unmuted that wants to be unmuted. Um, if anybody had any question or anything like that, feel free. I uh, just unmuted the whole board, so if you've got noise going on in the background and want to keep it blocked out, feel free to mute yourself. Uh, if anybody had a question for Chris or anything before we sign off here, feel free. Yeah, I'm definitely an open book if anybody has any questions, or they can reach me at my email, ricemediagroup at protonmail.com. But yeah, I'm definitely open. And let me know when you want to do more of these conversations. Um, I've been meaning I meant to come on sooner. I know you've invited me and it just kind of slipped both of our our minds, but definitely keep me updated. Well, you've had some travel events too and things that you had to go to and get done. And uh, we had the holidays and all that kind of stuff. So I figured I'd just wait a few weeks and uh, try and find a spot maybe where things had slowed down a little bit for you. So. It's slowed down, but it's busy in, in chunks. But at the same time, you know, it, like I've been pretty much like live streaming most most of today. Um, shouldn't say most of today, but I've done I did two two hour live streams plus this, which were at an hour. Or so, yeah. um, but it, I feel at the same time like I owe it to you for coming on my show, um, and I just kept myself functionable where I could think and speak correctly the way i wanted to uh, until i got on the show well i just want to do some cross promotion with you basically you know send people your direction as well since you interview a number of uh, very interesting people and people that make you think which is the kind of stuff i like yeah no i appreciate you saying that well you know and people i try and mention this every week these people ask you know what should I learn? What should I research? And what I tell people is you need to really find who you really are, where you're really at, because you've been deceived. And when you really learn where you're really at, what, what you're really about, where you really are, it, things, little light bulbs start coming on that you didn't realize existed. No, I would agree. It definitely starts with you uh, learning, you know, not only you know who you are and what you're about but to love yourself so that you can give back that much more to others and probably most importantly where we're really from yeah where yeah, are we from where are we from yeah <laughs> i think that's probably what's been tried to be hidden from us the most hey, hidden from the Samoans? From, uh... hey matthew how you doing Again, I wanted to ask uh, Rice a question real quick. Yeah. That's all right. Um, actually, I came across you, uh, I heard, I think, maybe like three different three different times in my research. And so I was really stoked to hear, uh, I don't know, it all loops back around, it seems like, in this, in this realm of research and stuff where people are actually thinking and trying to figure things out. But 
um, since you've had a lot of exposure to all kinds of different concepts and stuff, I want to compliment uh, what Brian just said and, and ask you, um, um, you know, because when you get into that, who you, who you are, you know, there's always this uh, concept of God in there, and I just want to see what you uh, what your take is on the supreme, you know, supreme order of things and and the concept of God. Just in short, I know that can snowball, yeah. but yeah, no, I, yeah. I definitely believe um, in, in a creator um, source. Um, I was raised with Christian values and really kind of rebelled against a lot of that because of like how the church and a lot of those and uh, people who call themselves Christians act started studying other faiths and looking into other religions and spirituality and started thinking for myself and questioning things. And, and it still kind of comes back to Jesus for me. Um, I call myself a practicing Christian, not a Christian because like if you were a Buddhist, um, you don't call yourself a Buddhist. You would call yourself a practicing Buddhist because a Buddhist would have achieved enlightenment. And to me, a Christian walks in a Christ-like walk. And I fail at that. So I'm a practicing Christian. And that's how I view, how I think most Christians should view themselves. But that just kind of encompasses Jesus's two teachings of love God with all your heart and love your brother and now add your sister as you love yourself. And that's why I said it, it starts with us individually. We have to learn to love ourselves because we can't love anybody more than we love ourselves. We can't give more than we have. And you can't properly show love to God without doing it by showing love to your brother and your sister as you would treat yourself. I hope Boy, that wouldn't, makes sense. Wouldn't that change a lot of things in the world? <laughs> May I? Yeah. Um, in, in, in my respects, you, you asked about that biblical reference and stuff. And so I point out Jeremiah 1 5, where it starts out before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So before I was even formed in the belly in the earthly sense, there was a knowing prior to that. That's where I come from knowledge. And if I want to return, prodigal son, the spendthrift son that wasted his time not learning to my father, which art in heaven, I have to have that knowledge. Okay. That's where I was formed, and that's where I have to go back to. In the meantime, we've all been indoctrinated through programming, program, professional grammar, just like computer programming. It's professional grammar for each different set of, of uh, jurisdictions. Binary is different than basic. Basic is different than Pascal. They ha all have their own programming, professional grammar. And that's what we're stuck in today, programming. We need to get back to the original word. With that, I yield. Right mm -hmm. on, Keith. Love it. You know, Jeremiah, you five, that that's what, I was going to say, that's what I call our original jurisdiction. Right, go ahead, Matt. Uh, I was going to say, would you call that pro? that uh, various programming uh, per versions of the truth? Yes, because we use different grammar. Politicians use different grammar than, than uh, journalists. Um, journalists use different grammar than bankers. Bankers use different gr uh, grammar than, than lawyers. Uh, legislators use different uh, grammar than lawyers. They're all using different grammar, and that's the construct of the English language. It's nothing but babble. Anybody can use it. 
but you have to stay right. And then they and they each they each per version have their own version, which creates a perversion of the actual truth of things, which puts brings us all here speaking and uh, trying to elaborate on the concepts. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This is my. This is what I call fellowship. It's what I call fellowship. I always appreciate the the uh, insight from others. Thanks, well, I, I appreciate, appreciate I appreciate you you know, lending an ear and listening, man. And thanks for joining in. Yeah, I agree, Chris. We need that. People think we're wise and, and worthy. We're not unless we have people that are willing to hear and then take action and, and not follow suit or try to become new leaders or anything. Because I'm not a leader. I want you to step up hand in hand with me because that's what it is at arm's length. Yeah. Lead by example. I mean, just uh, be the change. That's why my whole philosophy of practice change. Um, Just be the change that you want to see in this world. And the more that you do that, the more of an example that you set for other people to follow in that process of being the change that they want to see. And if everybody starts with that mindset and the idea of treating people how you want to be treated, we really can transform the world. But it take it's going to take a lot of pain and stuff that we've dealt with throughout history that we've perpetrated upon ourselves, all the division, all the different things to allow us to come back together. Yeah. Well, and I tell people all the time, it's like riding a bike. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to practice it. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Just don't get frustrated because that's our intent and our duty. Is right. To Just learn. Our brother's don't, keeper. And our don't. brother's keeper is to give him knowledge in case he should be fallen. Right, and don't dwell in the negative. Uh, learn from it and and keep moving forward. Yep, that's an excellent way, I think, to close out this evening, Chris. Thanks for Thank being you. here. Appreciate it. Absolutely, been a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you all again every Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Good night, guys. Yes, glad I made it. God bless everybody. Nice Thanks, Keith. Night, y'all. Good night. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.